Welcome to Subscribing to Wellness, the show where Rachel Newman and myself, Daniel Fairman, sit down with leading founders, executives, and investors committed to building a healthier future for consumers. Today on Subscribing to Wellness, we are joined by Solid Ventures co-founder and managing partner, Kiva Dickinson. As managing partner, Kiva leads all deal sourcing and execution efforts for Salva Ventures and works closely with portfolio brands. Prior to founding Selva, Kiva was a partner at Circle Up, where he led the Series B investments in NutPods and Liquid IV, working closely with both companies following their investments. Kiva, welcome to Subscribing to Wellness. How are you? Doing great. How are you guys? We're good. We're so excited to have you on the show today. I'm excited to be here. Anyways, we wanted to just kick it off. And maybe if you could just tell our listeners a bit about your path from, from TPG to then to Circle Up to now forming Selva and all in between. Sure. Yeah. So I was at TPG in the mid-2010s during a time where on the consumer side of things, our portfolio was primarily in large retailers. And you know, we were we were working on you know, improving these large retailers and, and finding more to invest in. And all throughout that time, you know, I was I was driving home every day and, and picking up dinner from Whole Foods and shopping the aisles of the store and seeing all of these new and interesting, better for you consumer brands that frankly weren't passing across our desk day to day in the investment world. I started to get a little bit curious about why that was happening. And in digging in, I found that the companies were too small for us. And even if they were large enough for us, quite often, we could not compete with the Unilevers and P&Gs of the world because they would just acquire these companies before we could and pay higher prices. I was really interested in investing in that type of company. I was passionate about brands. I was passionate about wellness. And at that time, we were looking at investing in a company called Circle Up. They kind of did just that. They were an equity crowdfunding marketplace that was launching its first ever venture capital fund in 2017. And so when we made that investment, I actually left TPG to join Circle Up as a partner when they were getting that effort started and immediately fell in love with it. I fell in love with working with these entrepreneurs. I fell in love with you know, trying to predict health trends and trying to roll up our sleeves and, and help them achieve their vision and was fortunate enough to get involved with a couple of companies there uh, when we led their investments, one called Nut Pods that makes a plant-based creamer and one called Liquid IV that makes a hydration supplement. But along the way, there are a handful of these other companies that didn't yet have conventional traction and were a little bit too early for us. And in those situations, I wanted to help them find capital so that when they reached our stage, we could work with them, we could partner with them. And what I quickly found was the landscape had consumer funds that, like us, didn't really go early all the way to the seed stage. The groups that would invest in the seed stage, the traditional venture capital funds, didn't really do consumer products and consumer wellness. And so often it was family offices and angel investors that invested at this stage, but not really offering that much strategic resources to these companies to remove the hurdles and help them reach the vision that, that they thought they were capable of. I saw, I saw a hole in the market like uh, entrepreneurs do that are creating these consumer businesses themselves. And you know, ultimately in the summer of 2019, decided to leave to start what is now Salva Ventures. And so happy to talk more about that. Yeah, I definitely want to talk more about Selva Ventures. Just thinking out loud though, before we go there, 
Your example with TPG, obviously they need to deploy pretty big check sizes in order to kind of generate the kind of returns that they need to for their LPs. But just just curious, I mean, is the model of a big fund like that getting in early and continuing to follow on round after round as the company scales, like not a strategy that that you see working in the industry? I, I think there were a few examples. I remember seeing Peloton some early investors there followed up round after round and obviously had a massive return. Is that not something that that you're seeing as often anymore? Is there anything you have like kind of an opinion on that? Yeah, for sure. For sure, it's possible. And Peloton's a great example with, with folks like Al Catterton that got involved. I think one of the biggest differences between something like a Peloton in the broader consumer wellness space and something in the CPG space is that CPG brands just aren't that capital intensive. They have high startup costs, but you don't have the opportunity to write a $5 million Series A check and expect to deploy another $100 million of capital over the next 10 years. And so quite often, you don't really have the business case to write that initial early check on the basis of continuing to deploy far more in the future. As a seed and Series A investor, that's exactly why I find it so attractive in that these businesses can reach exit raising less than $25 million and create, you know, in, in many cases, venture-like outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. Could you just talk a little more on that earlier point, just about how kind of the consumer ecosystem has evolved over the last few years to make it more enticing for, for great entrepreneurs to come in and, and find great companies? Yeah, definitely. So we like to talk about there being four dominant factors that... We are, we are seeing drive the feasibility of a venture ecosystem and the attractiveness of a venture ecosystem in CPG. The first is consumers are demanding better and healthier products to put in, on, and around their bodies. And you see that any grocery store you walk through, all of the innovation is not just premium, but in some way better for you. It tends to be table stakes to start a business in the CPG world these days. The second is that many of the traditional fixed cost barriers to entry in the space have become variable. Meaning if you and I started a consumer brand 20 years ago, it would have been hard to find a co-packer to manage our manufacturing right out of the gate. It would have been hard to reach consumers without the advent of social media. It would have been hard to outsource specialized labor. So you'd have to bring a lot of these functions in-house from the beginning. Much of that has changed, which makes it far easier to start a business today and get to scale. The third is that the virality of these outcomes is changing as the world gets smaller. Big retailers are picking up small brands. And then the fourth is that the traditional dominant players in these industries, the big CPG companies, are losing market share and deciding to react to that by acquiring the small brands that are taking their sales. Those four things together mean that at an early stage, you can invest in a seed company and actually create a really big outcome in under 10 years, which is the timeline that we look for. Totally. I'd love to kind of dig a little bit deeper into Selva specifically. So the mission of Selva is to invest in brands that make their consumers' lives better. And to us, that means better ingredients, better function, and better emotional connection with the consumer. Today, we focus only on consumables. So consumer packaged goods in the food, beverage, personal care, and beauty space. We think that those uh, businesses have a number of attractive dynamics. They have real product differentiation in many cases. There is a repeat usage that from a business model is really attractive. 
And, you know, in, in general, we like to partner with these brands before they reach $5 million in annual sales. You asked about the name. It was a hard one, honestly. Naming an investment firm is difficult. Naming any company is incredibly difficult. That's one of these things that I've become a big admirer of the companies that start up in the CPG space trying to figure out what's, what's the right hook and what, what should it be called and what should the identity be. Selva's name was inspired by uh, Rainforest. The, the idea of a rainforest, it, it creates more life and natural remedies than any other ecosystem in the world. And it actually has, interestingly, four layers. When you fly over a rainforest, you see the canopy layer, which is the third. There's the understory and the floor beneath it. But roughly one out of 100 trees are these emergent layer trees that actually rise above the canopy. And so if you look at our logo, it looks from afar like a leaf, but you actually see three lines within the leaf, which represent the three layers of the, of the rainforest below the emergent layer, which is the blue stem and tree that, that floats within it. So it's a kind of second meaning of the logo that I was really inspired by, that we're looking for these companies that are not just making their consumers' lives better, but are the kind of one in a hundred outcomes that stand out amongst the rest. I love that so much. So many firms, you know, they don't really have a story behind their name or it's the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the criteria that you look for when you're investing in companies? Yeah, definitely. When we were starting out, we wanted to create something that was not just helpful to identify the, the, the next great brand, but also repeatable that would drive consistency throughout everything that we looked for. That's hard to do in something like consumer where taste is actually so important and culture is so important and what connects the brands to their consumers. The framework that we came up with was five words that, that started with M. The first is megatrend. We want to invest behind these rising tides of, of consumer behavior change. Things that are absolutely not fads like plant-based, like low sugar, like healthier alcohol. Things that we, we see basically a foregone conclusion will continue and be stronger over the next 10 years. The second, which is often trivial to folks, but, but we think it's kind of the North Star of everything we invest in, is it has to solve a real problem for the consumer. That problem has to matter. People don't tend to rave to their friends and family about products that are just kind of cool on a sustainable way. Problems that you solve for a consumer tend to be scaled to other consumers and tend to breathe that organic traction that we really like. We like to see attractive metrics. And so that often is, is uh, the next thing that we look for, traction that, that proves that this brand is onto something and capital efficiency to show that um, it, can it can create a good return for us. We want to see a management team that we really believe in and you know, a product connecting with that management team that we think can rise above the, the rest. And then finally, we want it to be in a market that really matters, a market that allows the business to be big enough and gives us at least some ability to uh, look forward to a way to get our money out within that time frame that we talked about. Totally. So right now, the Selva portfolio is roughly 10 companies and you're in the pet space, you're in the Bev space, you're in the snack space. What are some areas that you're interested in that are missing from the portfolio that you'd like to dig deeper into? Yeah, one that I'm insanely excited about is what is happening in non-alcoholic beverage alternatives. That's to say non-alcoholic beer, wine, and spirits. 
you know, three years ago when I was at Circle Up, I started talking to some of the early movers in, in non-alcoholic beer, Bill at Athletic Brewing and Ted at Partake Brewing. And I was intrigued by it, but to be honest, I was pretty skeptical when they started telling me that non-alcoholic beer could be a big category. And I think three years later, we've seen what Heineken and Budweiser have done. We've seen what Athletic and, and Partake have done in growing their businesses. And people who were absolutely not non-alcoholic beer drinkers now have their fridges stocked with one of those two brands. I think that that's going to play out in a big scale in spirits and wine. To me, there's no way that the health-driven consumer who has upgraded all other parts of their grocery store shopping experience is not going to start thinking about the effect of alcohol on the calorie intake, the sugar intake, and what it does to their sleep. You know, we now all wear Apple watches, whoop bands, or rings, you name it. They all tell us something pretty darn obvious in like the first 30 days, which is that second glass of wine that you have before bed is really going to throw off your next day, throws off your sleep, throws off your recovery. And that is a huge reminder that when you drink, you need to be more intentional about it. It doesn't mean not drinking at all, but sometimes it means mixing in one of these non-alcoholic alternatives or having the non-alcoholic alternatives on weeknights and have your normal glass of wine on the weekend. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I have so many friends when I try to provide that explanation, get kind of confused, you know, why non-alcoholic wine, beer, and spirits? But I think you really just hit the nail on the head. And so I hope my friends listen to this episode for, for that reason. I also just think it's really exciting to think about the occasion flexibility that removing alcohol kind of drives. I think historically, there's been a certain kind of set of occasions that we see spirits, beer, and wine kind of enjoyed uh, during. And now I think if we remove alcohol, it just extends to so many more occasions, which then can drive kind of so much incrementality to the space. So I'm also equally as excited. A lot of investors, I think just to transition, of course, talk about their value add to potential portfolio companies. We've had some great conversations with founders who constantly are mentioning the way that Selva really does get involved with their portfolio and their portfolio companies after writing the check. Could you just talk a little bit about the resources that, that Selva really can provide to potential portfolio companies of the future and the way that you support founders? Yeah, you know, I I never wanted to be an investor that would just make picks. I mean, the, the, the thing that I thought was missing in the market, the inspiration of creating this firm in the first place was to provide those resources to firm to companies earlier than they could otherwise get them. And so as a small firm that doesn't have the resources to, you know, load up a bunch of, of operating partners that can get plugged into companies and, and solve different problems, maybe hope to be there one day. A lot of what we have done is connect an ecosystem of really like-minded individuals in the consumer ecosystem who want to help. And so that takes the form of typically advisors who are entrepreneurs themselves, who have been successful quite recently, who have done so in categories that are relevant to our brands, in channels that are relevant to our brands, and have a vested interest in helping those brands succeed. Many of these advisors have equity interest in Selva, and you know, have signed up to, to work with the companies that, that we're invested in. And so, you know, folks like Paul Coletta at Urban Remedy, Brandon Cohen at, at Liquid IV, Matt Kornstein at Harry's are all people that have, have kind of stood out and in, in, uh, moved mountains for the brands that, that uh, we have worked with so far. You know, I think, I think on top of that, 
there's honestly something missing in our industry that I have been trying to push, which is just real personal connection and empathy for the founders in the early days of building. It's incredibly difficult what they're doing. And, you know, that means in an investor founder relationship, you have to have some hard conversations sometimes, but you can also show how in it you are with them, how supportive you are. And so we like to not just take pride in the strategic resources that we that we give to these companies, but also in our ability to kind of be that 1am text or phone call when they don't have anybody else to call to figure out a really complicated problem. When you start a business like this, it's your life. It never ends. And for us, we, we don't want it to end with them. We want to be there for them whenever they need it. We want to be empathetic in doing so. So speaking of that, what are some things that you do outside, I guess, outside in quotation marks of work that makes you a better investor or makes you better at interacting with these companies and with founders? Yeah, I um, I have always been uh, a big athlete, you know, growing up, played a lot of team sports. And, and you know, I think there are hilariously things that you learn on the soccer field when you're six that continue to apply to working with working with uh, entrepreneurs when you're when you're many decades past that you know I, I also think uh, it is incredibly important to be reading and learning about how folks have done it in in other spaces in other times if you have a job like mine that isn't going in every day and building a product, the product that you're building for your customers is good decisions. And the way to improve those decisions is to learn and be a sponge. I also think there's there's a real importance to be in some way kind of meditative to be at, at your best. And, and for me, that that isn't that isn't daily meditation. It's just finding ways to escape work here and there to, you know, build my patience and really show up when people need it. You know, that might be uh, time with my wife. It might be, you know, hanging out with the cat that we adopted during COVID. I tried to take a couple of golf lessons over the last few months because I am a quite terrible part, uh, golfer as my partners have learned the hard way. And I kind of think that like when you're trying to hit a golf ball, it's probably the, the time that is hardest to think about anything else, at least when it's hard as it is for me. Yeah. As college athletes, we can definitely, former college athletes, we can definitely relate. Like I think some of the lessons that I learned from, from playing tennis in college, I still bring with me today to the workplace. And I think that that stays with you forever. And I think also I've, one thing I've learned is, you know, like working hard in, in the office is, is super important, obviously, but at the same time, I think sometimes your best ideas come from when you completely disconnect from work and just kind of zone out in whatever activity you're doing. So that, that also really resonates. One last question before we like to, to go into a rapid fire section, you know, let's put my, I'll put myself in the shoes of a founder and let's say I'm going into a meeting with Kiva Dickinson. What is like one thing that I can really do to really get your attention, you know, and impress you compared to, you know, the so many founders that you're, you're constantly meeting with on a regular basis whether that has to do with the company, personality, whatever it is, what is one thing that like you get really like excited about when you meet with the founder? Yeah, I have this, this theory that basically every great consumer brand over the past 20, probably more years, could pass what I refer to as the dinner party test, which is that if one of your consumers were to show up to a dinner party and have had your product in the past week, that they would 
first of all, choose to talk about your brand. And second of all, have a way of explaining how that brand solved a certain problem in their life that could be really relevantly applied to other people. That's starting with a problem and connecting to the consumer and connecting to how consumers can organically and virally grow your presence of a brand is something that I often feel like gets glossed over a bit when we go straight into, you know, the growth story, you know, the, the product differentiation against some of the more kind of nuanced competitors, you know, where this is going to be in five years, et cetera. I think all the best brands are incredible repeat purchase stories because they fit into somebody's life in some way and their life is never the same after they have, have adopted it. And so I tend to like to start with that problem and everything else can flow from it. I love that. We'll work on our dinner party appearance with Kiva soon. We'd like, to, to we'd like to transition to our rapid fire section. So first thing that comes to mind, don't overthink it. Guilty pleasure. Probably after talking about non-alcoholic, <laughs> I, I love trying some of the new different alcohol innovation on the market, whether it's, you know, a hard kombucha or some of the new RTDs. Uh, and after doing all the research that I do about how much it screws up my sleep and health, I still love to dabble in it. So I, I've got to go with that one. Love it. San Francisco or LA? Ah, that's hard. Yeah, I, I love San Francisco. It's, it's been my home longer than anywhere other than Toronto, where I grew up. It's so beautiful. I have so much fun here. But LA professionally is, is just the mecca of health and wellness. So I find it just so energizing when I go there for a couple of days and meet with all the people and walk through Erewhon. So um, I call it a tie if that's allowed. Fair enough. Favorite SF restaurant? Ooh, I love this pizza place called Joya. It, it was on Polk Street. It moved down to Hayes Valley. So I don't really go as much anymore. The best meal I've ever had here is probably uh, is probably State Bird. So good, love State Bird. Time of day you are most productive. <sighs> Unfortunately, also like 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. <laughs> that is a time that I've tried to be forcing myself to sleep. But whenever whenever there are like long term projects that that I need to be kind of creative and zoned in on. That has always been my, my kind of flow state time. Chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla, much to my wife's dismay. <laughs> Favorite movie? Jerry Maguire, which if, if at a, 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 long, a longer podcast, I can explain how it kind of inspired me down this path of business and eventually working with entrepreneurs. Very good. Last question we like to ask all of our guests. Basically, it is, what does it mean to you to subscribe to wellness? So what are kind of the, the health-related habits that you're focused on on a daily basis that allow you to live a healthier life while managing Silva? For me, I think that living healthier is not supposed to be a drag. It's supposed to be fun. And it's supposed to make you feel good. And it's supposed to be something that you look forward to. 20 years ago, the innovation didn't really allow that, but now it does. So I love healthier versions of, you know, junk food that I grew up with. I love 
you know, riding my Peloton and, and being able to kind of compete in this contained space and, you know, be off it in 20 minutes and on with my day. So there, there are so many different innovations that, that I'm kind of obsessed with that, that lead to me living a healthier life. But I think the common thread with all of them is that I actually look forward to doing them. And so a, a lot of what I get most excited about is, is people finding those things that they love to do that just happen to be better habits for them. So true. It's creating habits that will stick rather than these fads that we do for a week or, you know, a couple of days. Where can our listeners learn more about Selva? Yeah, they can go to the website at, at selvaventures.com. We've got an Instagram handle at selvaventures that does some, some kind of high-level coverage of our portfolio. And then I share my various thoughts on the world of CPG uh, on Twitter at Kiva Dickinson and, and on LinkedIn every now and then. So check us out in all those places and look forward to folks saying hi. Awesome, Kiva. We really enjoyed the conversation and, and appreciate you taking the time. Awesome, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank Thanks. You. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. Feel free to rate, review, and share the podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Wellness. If you'd like to sponsor us, please see the supporter link in our podcast bio. We hope everyone has a great rest of week filled with wellness, and we'll see you next time.